السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته أهلا وسهلا ومرحبا بكم جميعا أيها المستمعين والمستمعات Beloved listeners of Radio Islam International Welcome back to حياة طيبة with myself معلمة شاكرة هنتا here on Radio Islam International We thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as always for the opportunity to discuss his kalam and to build ourselves inshallah and to make the dabbur في آيات الرحمن every Wednesday afternoon really it is an opportunity subhanallah that I look forward to and I hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates benefit in each and every one of us as we listen and as we take time to gain closeness to the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Beloved listeners, you know, as it's coming to the end of the year, all of us are focusing on our holidays. And if you look at all the little WhatsApp groups and all the, the, the social media platforms, you know, tourism is at an all-time high. Everybody's discussing where they should be going for holiday, what, you know, whether they're going for Umrah. Some people might be going to Turkey. Some people might be going to Cape Town. Some people are doing local holidays, some international holidays. And it's all geared towards rest. So, subhanAllah, you know, we are focusing on how can I get optimum rest as we come to the end of the year as schools shut down as exams come to an end and we are now going to focus uh, uh, the way and at uh, the manner that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about rest in the Quran and Alhamdulillah, last week we focused on the classifications and the different types of ayat that you get. And today we are looking at something quite fascinating. And Alhamdulillah, you know, this is something that we all we all refer to as wahi, as revelation. But there are different types of revelations, there's for manners of revelation. The word wahi has so many different connotations. Allah uses them in so many different, you know, uh, meanings and different explanations. So inshallah, join us today inshallah as we go ahead and we build this close relationship with the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until we develop this sort of thirst to know more and more and more about the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala okay so every Muslim you know we all know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent us in this world and Allah has sent us sort of as a trial we all understand that this is a test definitely a test this world is a test so in order for us to you know to pass this test and for us to understand and navigate the universe and all of the tests that comes with living in this world Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has to give us the knowledge that allows us to do so so if we don't know the reality of the universe and we don't know the reality of all the things that are within the world and the uses for each one of them we cannot gain the true benefit of these things. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created man, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala complemented this creation with three things. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him knowledge. And put because of this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him the knowledge. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also created other things that you would come to know about. For example, the five senses, your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth, your limbs. Then your, fa- your, your faculty of reasoning, intellect or wisdom. And thirdly, the divine revelation of wahi. Now, when a man, you know, or a human being, subhanAllah, when you learn through your senses, you learn, okay, I feel, felt this, I learned something. I saw it, I learned something. I heard it, I learned something. So we first trust our senses. Then we go to our intellect. But subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those things that you cannot learn through your senses and through your intellect, Allah has given us wahi. And when you look at wahi, we have to now understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us wahi because it is an inescapable 
inescapable requirement for our guidance. If we don't have wahi, we will start to use our intellect and we will start to use our, our senses and this will override the guidance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when human intellect is faced with problems, we can only judge by what we see. But subhanAllah, when we take Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's wahi, his revelation, and we in, you know, uh, intertwine it into our lives, then it gives us the guidance that we need. Now, let's look at this word wahi and let's understand what is the meaning of this word wahi. So, when you look at the word wahi, there are two words, wahi and iha. Wahi and iha. So here, I'm quoting from a kitab, it's Ulum al-Quran by Mawana Shamsul Haq, and it's a beautiful explanation, right? That what, the one meaning is that it, it's, it signifies something very quick. You know, whether it is a metaphor, whether it is, you know, a meaningless sound, movement of the body, but just something very quick, right? And then the Allah, uh, subhanAllah, so we have wahi and you have iha. And both of them give this meaning of something that happens very quickly. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, He speaks about wahi in different contexts. And this is the fascinating thing. Sometimes He speaks about wahi in the context of it being a revelation, but there is no revelation. Sometimes He speaks about the jinnah. Sometimes, so let us understand where and how does Allah speak and use this ayah. So in the incident of Zakariya Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Maryam, Allah says, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم فخرج على قومه من المحراب فأوحى إليهم فأوحى إليهم أن سبحوا بكرة وعشيا Allah uses the word فأوحى So he went forth to his people, Zakariya from the sanctuary and he beckoned, he called to them and he said, what did he say? That said, فَأُوحَى إِلَيْهِمْ Now here the word is said to them, but he is using the word أُوحَى which means wahi. <coughs> so this word wahi is actually meant to put something into the heart of the person who is listening to you. So wahi and ihya was something that was used in this manner. Now in another way, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأُوحَى رَبُّكَ إِلَى النَّحْلِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to the bee. Does this mean that Allah sent wahi revelation to the bee? But what the, the, the explanation here is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put something into their hearts, right? Allah put something into their hearts. And then we see that Allah uses this word in the Quran even for something that Allah put in the hearts of the devils. Allah says, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَا لِكُلِّ نَبِيٍّ عَدُوًّا شَيَاطِينَ الْإِنسِ وَالْجِنِّ يُوحِي بَعْضُهُمْ إِلَى بَعْضٍ يُوحِي Can you see that word? أَوْحَى يُوحِي So in the first example we got فَأَوْحَى The second one, وَأَوْحَى And the third example when Allah says that Allah for every prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put enemies within the jinn and the man and men uh, men and jinn inspiring one another yuha so here Allah says yuhi now Allah says that most certainly the shaitans they keep inspiring their friends to dispute with you right 
So they put it, so this word wahi means something that is placed into the heart of someone else. Now we look at another example where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He reveals to the mother of Musa alayhi He says to her, وَأَوْحَيْنَا إِلَىٰ أُمِّ مُوسَىٰ أَنْ And we reveal to the mother of Musa saying, suckle him. Now we know that women were not prophets. So this means this wahi was not revelation. This was ilham, divine inspiration that was given to the pious people. Although Allah uses the same word, the meaning and the context is very different, subhanAllah, right? So, Alama Anwar Shah Kashmir gives us such a beautiful explanation of the difference of the words. He says the word wahyun and the word ihaun are two different words and there's a very minor, minor distinction. One is a general application. Uh, Ihaun has this general application which you can use for anyone, whether it was the shayateen, whether it is a normal person, whether it is the mother of Musa, because it's a normal word meaning just to divinely inspire. But then the word wahi is specific to the prophets, and that wahi is something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends down to his chosen servants and his messenger and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends it to, from the messengers to all other human beings so this is the broad difference between the two types of wahi that you get but what Allah, the first and most important thing for us to understand is when Allah speaks about wahi and we understand wahi, it is only given from Allah to the Prophet Now, when you look at the teachings of wahi, Allah teaches us some things through wahi which we cannot learn through our intellect, which we cannot learn through our senses. You know, these things are completely and totally to do with our religion. And subhanAllah, the wahi of the Prophet's was specifically to teach us about our deen and our religion. But sometimes, subhanAllah, if you look at the story of Nuh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, he tells, he tells us that the art of making, making the ark or the ship building was taught to Nuh, through wahi. So Allah revealed to Nuh how to do this. Even Dawood was taught the art of making armor. Adam also, Allah taught him many, many, many you know, strange and amazing things through wahi. And according to one narration, even medical science was sent down through wahi, subhanAllah. And this is, you know, narrated in the, in the book of Abdul Aziz for Arhari, right? So it's, it's, it's something that, you know, tabulated and, and it's, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, stated that this book, that medical sciences was revealed through wahi. Allahu A'lam, Allah knows best. So we move on to now to the kinds of wahi that you get. So Alama Anwar Shah Kashmir, he has given us and explained to us that there are three broad types of wahi. One is the wahi at heart. And this wahi was directed to the heart of a prophet and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspired something into the heart. There's no angel, there's no there's no hearing for faculty, nothing. The, the angel, the Prophet sallallahu does not hear any voice, but Allah puts it deep into his heart and he knows it as if it comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This can happen in his sleep, it can happen in his wakefulness, 
when you look at the story of Ibrahim that feeling that he got in his heart was that direct direct revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to his heart to slaughter his son right okay then we have the second type which is direct discourse from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and here in this kind of wahi Allah directly speaks to the Prophet and there is no interlink with any angel and but the Prophet does hear the voice there is a voice right Allah is speaking there's no angel and the Prophet can hear the voice the voice is entirely entirely different from any of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it also gives a very strange sensation and again to understand cognition of the words of Allah in this moment is not possible through your normal senses. So when Nabi Sallallahu was hearing the words of Allah, it's not like he was hearing it only from his ears. So only the Prophet can hear this voice, right? Then we have, and, and when you look at the, the ayah in the Quran, Allah speaks about this. Allah says, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ وَكَلَّمَ اللَّهُ مُوسَى تَكْلِيمًا And to Musa, Allah spoke directly. Surah An-Nisa, Allah spoke directly to Musa والسلام, Now the third uh, wahi that you get was the angelic wahi. Where Allah sends his message, and I think this is the one that we all know about. Allah sends his message to the Prophet through an angel, and that angel conveys it to the Prophet. Sometimes the angel is not visible, but only his voice is heard. Sometimes he might come in a human figure and convey the message. And sometimes he is seen by the Prophet, but this is, happens quite rarely, right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about these three kinds of, of, of revelation of wahi. And Allah says that it is not, it is not appropriate for a mortal that Allah should speak to him except by revelation or from behind a veil or Allah sends a messenger to reveal whatsoever he will by his leave. Allah says, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ وَمَا كَانَ لِبَشَرٍ أَنْ يُكَلِّمَهُ اللَّهُ إِلَّا وَحْيًا إِلَّا وَحْيًا أَوْ مِنْ وَرَاءِ حِجَابٍ أَوْ يُرْسِلَ رَسُولًا فَيُوحِيَ بِإِذْنِهِ مَا يَشَاءُ So yeah, Allah shows us the wahi of the heart which is behind the veil. Allah sends, you know, the, the behind, oh, sorry, wahi at heart, wahi behind the veil, and wahi the direct discourse by sending a message in an angelic way. Now, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam received wahi, the way it came down to him in different methods, right? So one is the way that they come down and then the methods that they came down. So in Sahih Bukhari, Aisha radiallahu anha, you know, she once asked, uh, she narrates this hadith that once Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was asked about the manner of what he sent to him. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, he said, sometimes I hear the voice like that of ringing bells. And I find this kind of wahi the hardest when the state ends all, all that voice has said is retained in my memory. And sometimes the angels come to me in the guise of a man. So from here we learn two methods of wahi. One firstly is the ringing of the bells. The first method, you know, it was a, a very similar, not actually ringing of bells, but similar to the ringing of the bells, right? 
So we we really can't explain more. We just have to take these words from the hadith. We don't know exactly how it was, what kind of bells, what kind of a sound, etc. And some scholars, they think, however, that it was the voice of the angels and others think that no, it might have been the movement or the flutter of their wings while they were bringing down the wahi, right? So different ulama tell us that, you know, you know how the sound of a bell doesn't break? Basically, the sound of the wahi was continu- continuous. Now, obviously, we don't know exactly. We only know the words of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, right? Then, subhanAllah, if you look at uh, Hafiz ibn Hajar rahmatullahi he says that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, it is the hardest on me, you know, the, the, the ringing of the bells was the most difficult on Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So he tells us that this shows us that all the types of wahi was quite difficult and quite hard on Rasulullah sallallahu but this particular one was the hardest. And the reason for it is because if you want to listen to somebody, you have to have that harmony, you have to have that quiet. But now you are unable to listen to the speaker. So if the angel came in human form, it would obviously be much easier. But subhanAllah, with the sound, with this, you know, this difficult sound, it was quite you know, difficult for Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Aisha radiallahu anha, she says, she says, وَلَقَدْ رَأَيْتُهُ I have observed the state of wahi on Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and I saw it during severe, severe cold. It was ice cold. She says, the word she is, she says, فِي الشَّدِيدِ الْبَرْضِ In severe, severe cold. And yet, the forehead of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa the Mubarak forehead of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa is to be drenched with sweat, subhanAllah. In another narration, Aisha radiallahu anha tell us that whenever the wahi came to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa his breathing became so difficult, his face would turn pale like the twig of a, of a date palm. His front teeth used to clatter with cold and he used to sweat so much. He used to sweat so much that it used to be drops rolled down like beads. Used to, and this is all narrated in Al-Itqan fi ulum al-Qur'an, subhanAllah. And this kitab is so fascinatingly written out. And I'm so happy that we can discuss this and we can develop this and we can, you know, build our understanding. So the state of wahi was sometimes so intense that when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was riding an animal, it could not hold the, 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 the weight of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa Once Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa was resting his head on the thigh of Zayd bin Thabit radiallahu anhu. And it caused so much of pressure that Zayd radiallahu anhu you know, actually felt like he was going to crush down. And we see subhanallah that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa himself once said to us, he said that, the, that Wahi actually felt like his soul was being squeezed, subhanallah, right? And then, you know, there are different other narrations where Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam explains to us that, that Umar anhu even said that there was a sound like humming of bees. So they could hear, like they would be close to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's almost as if this humming of bees. Beloved listeners, we are discussing the understanding and building our connection to the different, different forms of revelation, the classification, the deep, deep, deep connection to the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, when the angel came in the human guise, which is the second method of, of wahi, 
And so here we see that generally Jibra'il would come in the form of the very famous Sahabi Dihya Kalbi. And he would come and why was it? Because Dihya Kalbi was the most handsome person of his time. Dihya Kalbi was so beautiful that he used to wrap a cloth around his face when he came out. And we do know that Jibra'il sometimes would come in other appearances too, but mostly he would come in the appearance of Tahir Kalbi. We see in that famous hadith when Umar was there, and Umar says he was a complete stranger, he could not recognize him, right? And subhanAllah, we all understand though that in whatever form it was always Jibra'il Allah says فَإِنَّهُ نَزَّلَهُ عَلَىٰ قَلْبِكَ For surely he is the one who has revealed it to your heart. So we understand that Allah had made it that generally Jibra'il would bring this wahi, this revelation down to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right. Now, when we go on and we understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has you know, also sent down an angel coming in his original appearance. So in the second method, it was when the angel came in the form of the Hekalbi or a person. But here, the angel comes in his original appearance. And Jibra'il came down in his original appearance three times in the lifetime of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Firstly, when he himself wished to see the angel. And secondly, at the time of Mi'raj. And the third time was in the very early days after the prophethood in Makkah, subhanAllah, right? Now, we then see the fourth method was true dreams. The fourth method of wahi was that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to have true dreams before the revelation of the Quran started. So whatever Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saw in a dream would happen exactly in the same manner when he woke up. So Aisha radiallahu anha tells us and she tells us the initial wahi on Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was through true dreams and whatever he dreamt always came true like the morning light. Subhanallah. And you know, when the, when the Munafiqeen would do anything to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allah would inform him in this manner, SubhanAllah. Then the fourth method is when he would speak to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, which we explained in the past, like the speech of Musa Alaihi with Allah. And like Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam spoke with Allah in the night of Mi'raj. And then number six, which was the inspiration of the heart, where, where there would you know, be no interaction with Jibra'il wasalam, but he would inspire it directly into the heart of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. When Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has explained to us that Jibra'il wasalam, infused my heart, that none of you would depart from this world until he has earned all his substance, all his risk. So, that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows us. That is something that goes directly into the heart. Now, there are so many different types of wahi. You know, we can go on and on and on. And we know that there are, you know, wahi that comes directly from Allah to the, to the prophets. 
Then there is divine inspiration which we regard as ilham. And this ilham goes to the pious people. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends this ilham directly to the pious people, puts it in their heart. There is a very big difference between wahi and ilham. So wahi is that divine revelation that comes to Allah, from Allah to His prophets. And this has to be regarded as part of the deed of Allah. But ilham is something that Allah, for example, the mother of Musa wasalam, Allah put it in her heart. The mother of Maryam Allah put it in her heart. SubhanAllah, they were not prophets, but Allah sent them ilham, which is divine inspiration, specific for those who are, who are pious, but are not by the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are going to stop there for our first segment, inshallah. You know, when we start off and we get carried away, focusing on developing this connection to the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the time just flies by. It's obviously time to take a short break right now. But inshallah, when we get back, we'll be chatting a very, very beautiful topic and something that I think is very pertinent. So inshallah, I'm so glad you have all joined me in the segment where we are getting close to the Qur'an of Allah and trying to fall in love with the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inshallah, we'll take a short break and as soon as we get back, inshallah, we'll continue with the discussion. You have been listening to Hayatun Tayyiba with myself, Malima Shakira Hanja. Inshallah, after the ad break, we'll continue with the discussion. Barakallah feekum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته أهلا وسهلا ومرحبا بكم جميعا أيها المستمعين والمستمعات Beloved listeners of Radio Islam International, welcome back to Hayatun Tayyiba with myself, Malima Shakira Hanja. Alhamdulillah, in our second, second segment of the show, we always look at different ways to develop our tools, our Imani tools, our understanding. And we are looking at something quite important today. We are understanding the Maktab syllabus. And subhanAllah, if you look at the Makatib systems of South Africa and the Makatib systems throughout the world, it is really the foundation of a child's journey. And, you know, when you see how the Makatib systems have brought about intense change, have, you know, brought in systems into place where our young people are connected to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala throughout their lives, we have to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for these systems. So, beloved listeners, Alhamdulillah, we are joined on the line today by Sister, um, by, by Mu'allima Mu'ida Kaida, who is the owner and founder of Al-Hidayah. Uh, she has studied preschool teaching, she studied at IOSA, and she's currently studied, studying digital marketing as well. Mu'allima, Jazakallah Khair for joining us today. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Ahlan wa sahlan wa marhaban biki. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah for having me on the show today. Shukran. Alhamdulillah. It's a pleasure, inshallah. Mualima, um, can you first tell us a little bit about your institute, Al-Hidayah? Okay, so Al-Hidayah is an institute where I educate children, adults, reverts, and I also work with the children that have disabilities. Mm-hmm. Example, currently I'm teaching a child with autism, I'm teaching a child that ha- uh, that is a slow learner. So I work with special needs children as well. Alhamdulillah. And um, I started last year, October, Alhamdulillah. And today where I am is all because of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for giving me the strength to enable me to empower and educate the Muslim ummah. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Mu'alima, I want to dive right in. So I want to ask you first and foremost, what is 
when what is the importance of maktab in the life of our learners maktab is a primary islamic education and has always played a pivotal role in developing the children of the ummah it is a maktab where children learn the fundamentals of islam and we start off with the seven beliefs we believe in the books of allah we believe in the akhirah we believe in the angels so that's the fundamentals it enables us to live as muslims in future the maktab mm-hmm. um, system throughout the history has proven um to be the most vital means of persevering our deen basic islamic is learned in the maktab today whatever people have learned in the maktab they are practicing it in their deen whether it's salah whether it's your duas uh whether it's your ghusl or whatever we are practicing it in our everyday life and this by children going to a maktab they are able to live as proper muslims mm said seeking knowledge is a duty of every muslim in a maktab they learn faith worship mm-hmm. honest dealings good social conduct and etiquette and manner mm-hmm. the objective of a maktab is to create a nation who has allah consciousness mm. and for proper, proper islamic upbringing mm yeah uh, 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 you mind if i just interject for a bit i just wanted to mm-hmm. ask you um okay. when it when you look at our children when they're going to maktab what are the core subjects and what are they being taught throughout their lifespan of being in maktab Okay so the core subjects are you get your surahs surahs is very important because uh you use it in your salah every day for your five daily salah duas is very important uh because you use it you uh, when you go to eat you read your dua before you eating uh, bef- uh before you go to the toilet you read your dua and then you also have tajweed tajweed is very important because remember if you do not learn tajweed and you start reading quran then you are changing the whole meaning of the quran i give you example many people have been taught like in surah fatiha the, the beginning of surah fatiha they say alhamdulillah they put a raw instead of alhamdulillah so mm-hmm. can you see when not learning the tajweed you say alhamdulillah when learning the proper tajweed you say alhamdulillah and you're giving it the proper meaning you are not changing the meaning mm-hmm. so so subhanallah our students who uh, when they go to madrasa you know one of the core things that they learn is their surahs their quran alhamdulillah they get their duas do do they also get tarbiya while they are in maktab they okay so this tarbiya is very important as well we do it, it um tarbiya is the foundation of a person right 
at the end of the day, you have to teach akhlaq, you have to teach fiqh, you have to teach history, you have to teach akhoid, because they all play a p- different roles in a Muslim's life. Right? So you right. get akhlaq. Akhlaq is the person's whole character, good behavior, uh, the way they, they carry themselves, the way they speak to elders, the way they do things. That's very important. Then you have the history. History is about our Surah um, His character, his, the way he carried out different um, activities, different like the different battles, how he treated his wives, how he treated his, his companions. So all these subjects are conjoined together as well. So we can't if every subject that we teach is has to do with tarbiyah, has to do with akla, even fiqh as well. Every mm-hmm. subject is to conjoin together and are being taught the same way, but with the same tarbiyah. Mm-hmm. So, Malima, one important thing that we have seen happening is that uh, many communities, the students are going to maktab until grade seven, and then because they're now going into high school, they're so worried about you know their their high school load that they complete their maktab and they feel that's enough. So the ulama have stressed to us the importance of the children, you know, continuing with madrasa whilst they're in high school, even if it's for twice a week, even if it's for you know just a short amount of time. So can you tell our parents why is it so important not to stop their Islamic education once they reach high school? Okay, so why must we not stop our child from learning madrasa and high school? Because you see, when a child is from grade one to grade seven, they only learn the basics, the basics of salad, the basics of wudu, the basics of the yamun. But when they go to high school, each subject is taught with the extra curriculum of Salah, uh, Wudu, Ghusl, all of that. So example, you get your Salah, right? When you go to grade eight, you learn about Salah. But you learn about the Fard, the Wajib, the Sunan of Salah. Also like with with your practicals, you learn about Janaza Salah, about Ghusl for Janaza. You, you learn Tayyamum, the Fard of Tayyamum the sunnan of tayammum, you learn the different salah, the tahajjud salah, the, the uh, sajda is so, you learn, you learn all of that. It's very important. Even, even your akhlaq, you learn diff, the higher uh, topics of akhlaq. Like any woman's life, how she must behave after she's baligh, She's not allowed to look at a non-mahram men. She's not allowed to go out with non-mahram men. So that's all very important for a male and a female to go to madrasa to learn the depths of each subject. Because if they don't learn it, how are they going to... uh, read their salah, not knowing, okay, I have to do this wajib act in salah, or I have to do this fard act in salah. 
Honestly, I tell you, I see that myself. While I'm teaching Madrasa, I see that parents forget about their children. They are so engrossed and busy in their work that they forget about their children, about Dean. And it's, it's sad to say, but it's happening in our Ummah. So we as parents need to give time out to sit with our children to speak about different topics of Islam, whether it's our Aqeedah, uh, whether it's about our, the history of our history of Islam, talking about our Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Give that time. We're not asking you to sit one hour, two hours, at least 30 minutes, two times a day, sit with your children, tell stories, even if your child is 14, 15 years old, it doesn't matter. You are instilling aqidah, even when you're going to read salah. The father should encourage the child, okay? I'm going to read salah, get ready and come with me. And that will build their foundation. Even with a, a girl, when a mother is going to read salah, call your daughter to come and read salah with you. You know, those small things count as a Muslim. That is building Aqidah. Mm-hmm. Sit, even sit at a supper table, discuss topics of our Nabis, just discuss topics of the character, just mm-hmm. discuss topics of Quran, sit and do tafsir and discuss the meaning of surahs, whether it's surah Fatiha, whether it's surah Ikhlas, that will build the muhabbat in the child for Islam. Inshallah. Malima, I have to interject there. We are running out of time. So inshallah, I'm just going to ask the last question now, inshallah, and we want to, you know, wrap it up, inshallah. It's such a beautiful topic, and I hope it inspires our parents out there to look after the iman of their, of their children and take that time to spend with their kids as well. So Malima, you know, when we look at maktab, you know, maktab is taught taught to your older children but and, and obviously they in they progressing but you are deal with this the smaller one sometimes right so can you tell us how important it is to teach with different methods and play especially play with your your students okay so i teach i i got a different i teach children i teach adults and i teach leavers so when i work with small children you have to you have to be like, it's like a love-hate relationship, basically. You have to sometimes be strict. You have to be sometimes lovable. And 
if you want the children to learn, you find different teaching methods. Like example, if I'm teaching an, the Arabic alphabet, so I say, okay, this is Alif. So I say, Alif for I, Ba for boat or something. I, I uh, use different methods like that so the children are able to grasp, grasp the Arabic alphabets. Surahs also, you, you have to, each child, each adult, each individual is different. No individual is same. So you as a mu'allima has to use your akal, your mind to examine the child and see the child or the individual or the adult if what how they learn, what methods to use to teach them. Because at the end of the day, even adults sometimes become children. They're very scared. They're very reserved. They feel, oh, no, um, I'm inferior to them. You have to make them feel comfortable and say, at the end of the day, I'm learning from you and you are learning from me. We, know, we are not perfect. Everyone makes mistakes. We have to understand each other, have a mutual understanding so that you all are able to learn. Even sure. children, you have, to, you have to be very subtle with children. Don't make them be scared. Uh, make them feel welcoming. Laugh with them at times in class. Uh, make jokes with them. Ask them how their day was. So they are not scared. They are not um, frightened of you. Mm-hmm. So, Jazakallah Khair for joining us. I really appreciate the time that you've given us today, and I can hear your passion coming through. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless your work. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept all that you are doing, inshallah. And most importantly, may Allah make it that every parent who is listening in, they understand the importance of the Makatib systems and the Makatib syllabus so that they are choosing the good a solid Islamic knowledge for the children. Jazakallah khair for joining us today, Malima. Inshallah, we will chat again soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Beloved listeners, Alhamdulillah, that was Mu'alima Mu'ida who has been online, Alhamdulillah, with us and she has been explaining to us you know, in detail, the importance of the Makatib students, uh, Makatib syllabus, sorry, and the importance of impacting our students as well. Now, I want you as a parent to understand and to take into consideration that every madrasa, subhanAllah, we have, you know, the core subjects in our core syllabus and the core focus of our Makatib is, you know, you have your oral subjects, you have your written subjects, and then you have your, your, your terbia subjects, which is your more academic subjects. Now, a lot of the time as a parent, your, your maktab system is focused on my child needs to finish the syllabus. And it is incredibly important that they do finish the syllabus. But when you, you shouldn't be making the syllabus the maqsad of it. The, the finishing it and the exams takes away from the, the whole objective of the makatib syllabus. And what is that? The, the objective is how am I building my, my, my child 
in their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The focus of them finishing grade one and finishing grade two and finishing this surah and finishing that surah takes away from the fact that you want them to love those surahs. You want them to use those surahs, those duas. You want them to have a lifetime connection to the work of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You want them to choose Allah over and over again. And the only way they can do this, beloved listeners, is when they are Subhanallah, when they are given a grounding of my maktab that is based and its focus is how am I connecting my child to Allah? So as a parent, when you are putting your child into a maktab, you know, firstly, look and see if that maktab is something that is going to be looking after the, the, the iman of your child, which is the most important thing. Then, subhanAllah, you know, prioritize your makatib and your child will then prioritize deen. If you keep sending your child to the maktab as if it is a second, you know, or a third priority, then your child will also say, no, it's not so important. It isn't something so important. So we have to place that importance and we have to build and nurture. And then subhanAllah interact with the knowledge. I think interacting with your student, with your children, asking them what they have learned, telling them stories, bringing that, you know, the deeny knowledge into their homes is something of paramount importance. Beloved listeners, alhamdulillah, we have been focusing and looking in detail at the understanding of this incredible topic. And this topic is that my 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 my, my child's deeny education is something that I have to be aware of. My child should not be going to madrasa and just learning and coming back and saying, okay, mom, I've done this, I've done that. No, I must be aware what surah they are learning, what dua they are learning, where they are in their journey, how much are they memorizing, and how much is that impacting my child's life? Can I see a change in his life? Is he building? Sometimes we, you know, we put the blame at the, at the doors of the teachers, but we as parents, Parents have to understand that the maktab syllabus is one that is supposed to be an intertwined relationship between yourself as the parent, your child, your child, and the the teacher in the madrasa, subhanallah. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless you all and inshallah to make this year of learning for our learners one of complete and total benefit. Barakallah fikum. You have been listening to Hayatun Tayyibah with myself, Malima Shakira Hunter, here at Radio Islam International. Remember, Hayatun Tayyibah is every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoon from 2 to 3 p.m. Inshallah, keep us all in your du'as. Barakallah fikum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.